Listen, the topic of honor that I'm on today, like it, it, is, it is not peripheral to the church. It's central, okay? It's not peripheral to your own life, okay? Right now, whether you came in here with some other things you were hoping to get a message on today. I don't, I don't know what it was, but like, like this topic of honor, it is not peripheral. It is central. It's, it's, it's a massive, massive thing for you and I. Both, both Paul and Peter teach this principle about honoring those in authority. And, and they talk about honoring like the kings or honoring the emperors. And, and you can read this, like, the, like this is Romans 13, um, you know, First Peter, you'll read about this too. And, and what's interesting about Paul and Peter both writing about this, about honoring those in authority, like, you know, like they were alive during Nero, you know, like not a great guy to be alive. He was the emperor of Rome and he had a, uh, a passion for like murdering Christians. So not, you know, to tell people to honor, honor you know, uh, those in authority, especially the emperor. And, and what's interesting about this is that Paul and Peter both end up being martyred for their faith by this guy. And, and it, it wasn't about like agreeing with Nero. It wasn't like being like, oh yeah, he's, he's awesome. It was about like bringing your heart, your life into a different kingdom, like into a different world like like it, that it functions differently we don't function like out of, like, like like the ways of this world you know we function differently we trust the lord so honor is the operating system of the kingdom of god everything you love about the kingdom it flows out of this right here honor it's everywhere and the reason why this matters to you and the reason why this needs to matter to me is because if we don't get honor right we don't get the christian life right okay if you don't get honor right you don't get the Christian life right. Christians are called to live a different way. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, sure good to be back together again uh, this, this morning. Um, uh, great to just, to just be with you after uh, some time away. You know, we were here last Sunday morning, but my first chance to, to get back up here and share some things with you. So I'm excited after having an extended period of time away. Uh, to be able to teach uh, this morning. Uh, let me tell you just, just a quick story. When we were on vacation, we went down to Florida, and uh, we, we, we were gone for a couple weeks, and on the second half of our vacation, we ended up in Fort Myers. And uh, in, in, in Fort Myers, one morning we woke up, and uh, Lindsay and I decided to go get some donuts for the kids, right? So we, we go, there's this, this uh, pretty neat little donut shop around the corner from where we were staying. It's called Duck Donuts, and uh, their donuts are... Um, made to order, so they're, they're, you know, like they're hot, like right when you get them, so anyway, it has nothing to do with the story, but that's what we were doing, they're pretty incredible, you should look them up, so uh, anyway, we, we get our donuts, we're going to go get some coffee, and then head back uh, to, to give, you know, the food to the kids, and so um, I'm, I'm pulling out of this, this section of the parking lot that we're in, and uh, I don't see a, a car that's coming, um, and so um, I just I take my foot off the brake, and my car just starts to roll a little bit. And uh, split second, I see the car coming, so I put my foot back on the brake. And uh, and, and Lindsay's like, "Hey, no, there's a car." And I was like, "Okay." And so this this car drives by me, passes in front of me, and I realize it's an, like an elderly couple. And the the lady sitting in the in the passenger uh, front seat uh, looks at me and, f- and flips me off. <laughs> like like seriously. Man, and like I, I'd love to be able to tell you that I, I handled that well, and uh, and so I, I I don't know what happened, like I don't know what went over me, but instead of turning and going the direction of Starbucks, um, I turned and followed this car in the parking lot for a minute, and I and I I don't know what I was planning to do. I just I just was like, what? Like how could you? 
Like, I can't believe, like, you can't just do that to people, you know? And, and I, was, I was just like, like, justice and all of that. And, and you know, my, my, my sweet, beautiful wife over there is, is trying to remind me that I'm a pastor. And, uh, and, and so I, I followed them a little bit through the parking lot. And, and I, just, I just, I wasn't going to do nothing, you know? I was just, I just wanted to, to be like, hey, like, what in the world? Like, what makes you think you could talk to me like that? And I ended up turning around uh, before, before anything happened. But, um... Anyway, uh, vacation, uh, yeah. So, I think the reason why it got, un- got under my skin so much is because, it's because f- to me, it's, it's such a micro picture of like a greater issue that's going on in our world. Uh, and it, and, it, and it, it, it's like a tension that I feel all the time, and it's something that we talk about, and um, it, 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 something like that just runs in conflict with like some core principles and values and things that, that, I, that I have worked hard to make true in my life and, and uh, you know, still struggle with. But, it, you know, it, 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 it just seems like everywhere we look, you know, the world seems to have, it seems to have devolved to the point of, of, of running almost entirely on dishonor. And, uh, and it's led to all kinds of craziness. And so uh, the text that we're going to be in this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it's going to give me an opportunity to really share some things with you that have been stirring in my heart along, this, uh, along these lines, and along the lines of really building, creating, and sustaining a culture of honor, both personally, but also corporately as a church. I think, I think it's really important that we, that we do this. And, um, and so um, honor is a word that is probably used more in the church than in the typical culture, right? Like, like there, it's, it's in the Bible a lot. So we probably hear the word more in the church than we hear the word really anywhere else because it's become a word that's a little bit outdated or a little foreign, a little archaic. It's not one that, that uh, people lead with very often today, right? It, 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 it's it's uh, maybe something in a generation or two past was, was more... Um, you know, um, got a little more airtime, or, or was a little more important to, to society. But you know, I, I I look at it, and it seems to me like we are living uh, at a time in history where culture has been very successful in its in its attempts to devalue and deconstruct honor. Like it's it's something that that is just very difficult to see around us in the greater culture. And you know, it, I I just believe personally as a pastor, I believe that God built the world in such a way that it was designed to run on honor. And when it runs that way, it leads to human flourishing, right? It leads to godly order. Uh, it's not a stretch to say that the world has, has, has devolved, right, to the point where it largely runs on dishonor, which has led to all sorts of chaos and all sorts of human suffering. And so we see the effects of a society or a culture where there is no honor, and uh, I want to kind of point us towards what it looks like to, to be the people of God and how to embrace a different culture personally and a different culture corporately so that we can be the people of God uh, in the here and now. We're living in some pretty unbelievable times, wouldn't you agree? I can't help but continue to notice how crazy it is to be alive during these times. Every week there is something even more shocking that happens, whether it's gun violence, whether it's you know, abortion laws, whether it's a war in Eastern Europe, uh, you know, an economy that is brinking, uh, or is, uh, is uh, uh, teetering on the brink of a recession, or gas prices, or whatever, whatever the case, like, it just, just, it just seems like every week there's, like, another big thing, you know, and maybe you feel that as well. 
Everywhere we look, there's all kinds of anger. Everywhere we look, there's all kinds of hostility. Lines have been drawn, right? Each side immovable in their beliefs that they're on the right side of the morality debate. So much on the news and on social media meant to stoke these tensions. We have laws being changed. We have laws being passed, executive orders being handed down. It's been interesting, interesting to me to see how so many people seem to believe that the solution to the problems we have as a society is to just pass a few laws or re- repeal a few laws. As if we, if we just had these laws or we had those laws, then we wouldn't be dealing with the kinds of issues that we're dealing with right now. But i got to just tell you that as a pastor, you know, I, I look at our world. I look at our world and I can't help but grieve because we don't have law issues. We have heart issues. We have like big, big, big heart issues. The problem with a message like this is that we're not, I'm not just talking about hearts that exist out there, outside these walls, or outside of the Christian community. Like it affects all of us. Like it affects all of us to the point where our heart just gets a little weird and a little, a little offended and we start following somebody through a parking lot. You know, I mean, it, it, it's just the way it goes. It affects not just the people out there, but it affects us too. It affects us too. We have issues that only God can change. We have issues that only God can change. And I tell you all this because, man, like we're well-versed in what, in what normal looks like in culture right now. And, and, and I tell you all this because if you're taking notes, I want you to catch this thought. I just believe that Christians are called to live a different way. I believe that Christians are called to live a different way. Now, if you're, if, if you're not a believer in Jesus, like, hey, a lot of this just doesn't apply to you yet. Because there, there, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you, when you say, I'm going to follow you with my life, like, like th- there is a different way we live life as a result of that decision and as a result of the Holy Spirit working in our life. He, he changes our desires. He, he makes us new. And so I, I am convinced that Christians are called to live a different way, that we cannot live like the culture around us. It just doesn't work that way. The world is stripping people of their dignity and their worth. Christians, the people of God, need to exist to put dignity and worth back into people, not perpetuate the issue by continuing to pull that out of people. And this is a huge part of what 1 Timothy is about. You know, if, if you've read it this summer, you know, multiple times, and you know, we've been teaching through it. This is, this is like a big thought in 1 Timothy. And you might be surprised by me saying that, you know, because there's some, some other issues that get, get a little bit more focused. We talk about it as like a discipleship book. We talk about it as a book, you know, um, or letter given to Timothy on how to, how to uh, organize a church or, fu- or, or, or teach people how to function in a church as Christians. But, but, a, but a huge part of First Timothy, really what I would say is one of the overarching themes is this idea that Christians are called to live a different way. And, and when you look at chapter 5, and Pastor Josh opened up with it last week, and, and uh, it's been a great uh, amount of time looking at, at chapter 5, and, and did, did a great job talking about how the church is, is to exist as a family. And if you weren't here last week, you got to go listen to that message. It's, it's a really important, like, core message to, like, the fabric of the type of church we're trying to be, by the way. And, and, and so these, these, these two messages, they almost kind of go together, and they're in the same chapter, so it's, it's a good idea. So, um, but chapter 5, what we really begin to see is, is Paul teaching Timothy about how, how the church is supposed to treat people, like how they're supposed to treat each other, but also, how, you know, what we see throughout the book of 1 Timothy is, is, is him teaching them how to treat others, you know, like, like in, in chapter 2, they're called to live peaceful and quiet lives. 
uh, here in chapter 5, you know, he opens up talking about old men and old women and widows and all these things, how the church is to treat people, you know, uh, like this. And so this is, a, this is a, a, like a huge theme, like how you treat people, and Christians are called to live a different way. So let me just give you the scriptures I want to look at, and, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to continue to uh, work through this. 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 17, it says, The elders who would direct the affairs of the church. So this is like the pastors. These are, you know, um, uh, th- these could be, uh, you know, some of our, our, no- our non-paid elders, you know, that are non-staff paid elders, you know, um, but also our pastors. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well, it's an important word, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Uh, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be, talking about elders specifically, those elders who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. So, um, yeah, Uh, pastors don't preach on this a lot, okay? So, this verse doesn't get a lot of airtime on Sunday mornings uh, around our country, but um, I, I want to try to try to do my best to give you a few thoughts here, and uh, I want you to know just right off the bat that this is not going to be a self-serving message today. I, I'm not about to to teach a message about how I, you know you're supposed to honor me all the time. Although I, I would tell you I, I do believe uh, it's for your benefit, you know, uh, you know, and evidently that was funny. It's true. Uh, I, I, I do believe uh, that it is scriptural, and I do believe that it is appropriate for you to honor your pastors. I, I just do. I think it's, it's in there. And, uh, we have a responsibility before the Lord, you know, uh, to, to be people of, of integrity and people of character and to handle the Word of God well. And, and so there is a different type of responsibility that your pastors have before the Lord than, than some of you do. And so uh, it's... it's uh, uh, Paul says, hey, they're, they're worthy of double honor. Um, I don't know that this means that, hey, pastors, this is, you know, some people take this as, as pastors should, should be rich, and that's not, that's not what it means. Uh, you know what it's, it really means? In, in, in the first part of chapter 5, he's talking about the widows, and, and you know, those specifically whose family can't take care of them, that they should be honored. He's talking about a financial honor, honor, and then he gets down here and he talks about pastors and says that they're worthy of double honor. Like, let's take care of them. Let's make sure that they're taken care of well. Um, because, you know, they stand before the Lord and, and, and bear a lot of responsibility. Um, so I'm not going to take a lot of time on talking about me today. Um, I want to get to the bigger issue of honor that affects uh, how we treat everybody, not just how we treat pastors or leaders in the church. But I will say this. I just want to give a little, little thought uh, on this, specifically about pastors. When you have some extra time, when you can't sleep or something like that, you know, you're up at night, Go ahead and Google pastoral depression for a minute. You might find yourself a bit surprised. You might find yourself a bit surprised. It is hard to be a leader. Let me just tell you, it's hard to be a leader. Leaders take a lot of criticism. People can often resist their ideas because they just don't want to be told what to do, right? It's part of that modern radical individualism. Like, we just don't want to be told to do, and so people can resist and all that. Churches are often places where because we're supposed to love one another, we teach that here, People feel like they can just say whatever they want, you know, uh, criticize whatever they want. If they don't like it, uh, the result is they're just going to go to another church. And so I, I just tell you that because, because there's a different pressure than, that, that pastors can carry and deal with. I, 
I would tell you that there's a different level of warfare that, that surround pastors and their families than maybe what most people understand in their own life. You know, if the enemy can get at a, a, fam, you know, a pastor and his family, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's a big problem that, that, that will affect others. And so uh, I want you just to understand that, that, that there's a reason for why Paul, you know, asks Timothy to instruct the church to honor their pastors. Now look, there are plenty of pastors, there's plenty of leaders who, who have done all kinds of things that, that uh, would maybe disqualify them of deserving your honor. You know, like, like people abuse power and all that. I'm not talking about that, you know, those extremes. I'm just saying that there's, there's, there's something that you, um, you will reap something well by sowing into honoring your leaders in the church. Just, just a good word for you. Leadership's hard. And so what we want to do is we want to have a culture here at our church where we honor our leaders, all right? That's just what we want to do. We want to be that type of church. We want to honor our leaders. And, and we want to be leaders that, are, that, that, that lead in a way that is worthy of your honor. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, Paul writes again in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other, okay? So, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this. I'm not going to talk about me anymore today. Um, never done that. So, uh, that's, that's so nice. When you teach through a book, uh, you end up stumbling on scriptures that you're like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever taught a sermon on that. So, uh, this is one of those. Um, I want to get to the bigger issue of honor and how that affects um, how we treat everybody uh, today. So, how many of you would agree that honor has fallen on hard times in our culture? How many of y'all would agree? It's falling on hard times. It's, it's, not hard, it's not hard to feel as if uh, we are on the front row of the decline of Western civilization and we didn't ask for these seats, right? 2019, House Democrat Rashida Tlaib, uh, hours after she was sworn into office, she was quoted as saying this, referring to President Trump, we're going to impeach the blankety-blank-blank. Blank. Earlier this year in 2022, there was a church in Texas full of Christian nationalists uh, I mean, tons of people standing and shouting, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Like, uh, where is the honor in our society, honestly? Like, where is it? Uh, where, where is it? Where is the honor in me and in you? It seems like we are well-versed in understanding, uh, in our understanding of dishonor, but what about honor? So that's the question. What is, what is honor? Like, to even be good at it, we got to know, like, what it is. To even, under, to even ask ourselves, is this something we should pursue and embrace and cultivate in our life? Like, what is honor? So let's, let's define it for a minute, okay? Honor is the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance of other people, okay? It is the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance of other people. So what we understand right away is that honor builds up and dishonor tears down. That's, that's a simple understanding, right? Honor builds up, dishonor tears down. Down. Let me give you a little bit more understanding uh, from the New Testament. In the New Testament, honor really means to esteem and to hold in great respect, to place value on a person. So in the, in the New Testament, in the scriptures, a person's value was often understood as their glory. Okay? That, th th those words can almost like, like interchange, but like their, their, their value was often understood as their, as their glory. So their glory of a person, it's the, it's the implicit value that something possesses. Okay? That's, that's glory. It's the implicit value that something possesses. Honor is then your personal choice to recognize that value. That, 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 so, so, so glory and honor, 
Like we hear these like in, in scripture, they go hand in hand. It's like glory and honor to your name, like about God. And, and we, we see these, in, uh, you know, th- how those words are like closely connected. There's a difference. They're similar. They're different. Like glory is, is, is just that there's, there's an implicit value that something carries. Honor is recognizing that value, like, like choosing to recognize it. Okay, so when you ascribe honor to someone, you are recognizing the implicit value on that person's life. That's, that's what you're doing. That is what you're doing. But here's the catch. Whether you choose to ascribe honor or not, the implicit value doesn't change. Like, right? There's still people created in the image of God. Like, their value isn't altered because you and I choose to not honor them, right? They're still, they still carry their, their um, implicit value. A good way to understand this is when, when we think about God. So God, we know, is full of glory, right? He's glorious. Like, he's, he's full of all of this value. How many of y'all know that God's glory is not diminished whether or not you and I decide to honor him, right? Like, he, he is still just as glorious. Like, there's plenty of people who choose to not honor God. It doesn't diminish his, his glory. Honor, though, when it comes to the Lord, honor is when we choose to acknowledge his glory. That's honor. We're, we're saying, like, I recognize who he is, how how, how glorious he is, how amazing he is, and honor is recognizing that glory by bringing into alignment in our lives what we value and what we recognize. So we bring into alignment what we value and what we, and what we recognize with God's reality. Because the reality of God's value, it's there whether we acknowledge it or not. Like in heaven right now, like God is full of glory, like, right? Like he, he is who he is. What we're trying to do is bring ourselves into alignment where we value and we recognize what is, what is true in, in God's reality, okay? And then, and then that, that, the downstream flow of that is that we, we then apply that, we copy and paste that, like, onto everybody else that we interact with, okay? That, that we, we don't just, we don't just uh, um, you know, do whatever or say whatever. We recognize that these are people created in God's image, and so there is immense value on their life, and we want to be, be people who recognize the value that is on them. So this topic of honor, here's what I want to do. I, I got to catch you right now before you fall asleep and drift off because I realize like there's some of this that's just like, eh. But listen, the topic of honor that I'm on today, like it, it, is, it is not peripheral to the church. It's central, okay? It's not peripheral to your own life, okay, right now, whether you came in here with some other things you were hoping to get a message on today. I don't, I don't know what it was, but like, like this topic of honor, it is not peripheral. It is central. It's, it's, it's a massive, massive thing for you and I. It's a massive thing. It's, it, it's not the kind of topic where you're like, you know, I heard a sermon once on honor. That's pretty cool. No, 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 no. It's central, okay? It's central. Christians are called to have honor as an operating system that is downloaded, it's installed, and it's what they run their life out of, okay? If you're taking notes, I want you to catch this with me. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. Honor, I believe, is the operating system of the kingdom of God of God. Like everything about the kingdom of God runs and flows out of honor. Let me just show you. Let me just show you some things, okay? We see honor uh, as something that exists in heaven. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to give these to you fast, okay? As fast as I can because I I got other stuff to talk about. So uh, I want to just show you how honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. It's in heaven. Revelation 5. Then John writes and says, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven 
uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits, right, famous words, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and, and glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever. And then I love verse 14 because it says the four living creatures, which we're not entirely sure what they're, li- what they're about, right, what they're like. We know that the four living creatures in heaven, that they, they see what is going on around the throne, like this worship. They see the living, uh, you know, all these living creatures singing to him who sits on the throne and under the Lamb be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures are just like, amen, amen, right? And that when they say amen, the elders fall down and worship. Pretty cool. And so this is like the culture of heaven. This is what's going on in heaven. And I tell you that because, you know, you, you, you read these verses, like how wide is the scope of this? How wide is the scope of what is going on here in heaven? It's, it's every creature, right? It's every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Like it's, 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 oh, it's a pretty wide scope. And, and I tell you that, like you gotta, you gotta first look at heaven to understand what it looks like there because, because honor is our destiny, church. Like, like this is where we are headed. Honor is your destiny. Our eternal future is filled with honoring God. This is what it looks like there. The fu- this is the future you are, you are heading into. And, and so we want to be people who, who cultivate the same culture in our lives. Let me, let me show you again. Honor is in the Godhead. So in the Trinity, John chapter 5 says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Yeah, you see, we see the Father and the Son. There's great honor. Like this, this, by the way, is a really problematic verse for Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know if you're familiar at all with that, you know, that that. that. Um, that cult and some of the problematic things within their belief system, but they don't believe that Jesus was God. And so this is a really problematic verse. If you ever get into a discussion with them or they knock on your door, pull up John chapter five and have a good discussion with them, okay? So number three, number three, um, uh, honor is in creation. Honor is in creation. Um, Isaiah 43 says, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. Okay, so honor is in creation. Honor is in our sexuality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Look at this, okay? And this flies in the face of a lot of, of, of what we see in the dominant culture right now. Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay, it's a big deal. Honor is in our wealth. Next, Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. How many of y'all want some, some vats that are like brimming over, right? With some new wine. Come on, give me some, give me some vats, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is a classic principle in Scripture. It, it, it's woven all through Scripture, right? Honor the Lord with your finances. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Like, like give back to the Lord. He's blessed us so much. Give back to the Lord. Honor is also in human culture. Romans chapter 13 says, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, this is just one verse I kind of lifted out of, out of uh, Romans 13, which, which talks a whole lot more about this. If you want to go read that on your own, uh, about honoring those in authority. But this is a huge problem with this generation that we are all a part of. Uh, we, we struggle to know how to honor God-ordained authority. 
because we assume that as long as, as long as, you know, unless they're leading well or leading the way we want them to lead, that that is, that is only what um, justifies us honoring them. And that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that God ordains authority. Uh, it doesn't mean that he agrees with people. It doesn't mean he agrees with leaders who are in place, but that we understand authority comes from God. And so, and so you know, we subject ourselves. We allow, we allow ourselves to be honoring to those who are in authority. Um, it's, it's the way this works. Now, let me give you a couple examples here. You know, like, like both, both Paul and Peter teach this principle about honoring those in authority. And, and they talk about honoring like the kings or honoring the emperors. And, and you can read this. Like, like this is Romans 13. Um, you know, First Peter, you'll read about this too. And, and what's interesting about Paul and Peter both writing about this, about honoring those in authority, like, you know, like they were alive during Nero, you know, like not a great guy to be alive. He was the emperor of Rome and he had a, a passion for like murdering Christians. So not, you know, to tell people to honor, honor you know, those in authority, especially the emperor. And, and what's interesting about this is that Paul and Peter both end up being martyred for their faith by this guy. And, and it, it wasn't about like agreeing with Nero. It wasn't like being like, oh yeah, he's, he's awesome. It was about like bringing your heart, your life into a different kingdom, like into a different world, like, like it, that it functions differently. We don't function like, out of, like, like, like the ways of this world. You know, we function differently. We trust the Lord. So uh, an, another example, let me give it to you quick, is in the Old Testament with King David. You remember that he was anointed to be king over Israel? And, and, uh, and after that had happened, shortly after, like King Saul, who was currently king, his heart uh, uh, became very evil. The man was tormented by demons. And so uh, he wanted to kill David. And David had to run. He had to flee. He ended up hiding in caves, uh, a cave with, with, with his men. And, and uh, while Saul and his men are hunting David, they, uh, Saul goes into this cave uh, to relieve himself and doesn't know that David and his men are, are far back inside the cave. And, and David, you know, kind of creeps up, gets close enough to uh, King Saul that he cuts off a corner of his robe. Remember the story? And, and, uh, and, and chooses to not kill him. David is so convicted by what he did that he touched God's anointed. Even though, even though Saul was evil at this time, he had turned his back on God and was doing unthinkable things. He was consulting with, with mediums. I mean, it, it, unbelievable, like, like things that just not okay. And, and, and I mean, you would think that David had every right to just sort of, sort of like, you know, t- you know uh, manhandle his future and become the king on his own. And he, he feels so convicted by the Holy Spirit that he, even, that he even thought about touching God's anointed, and he just, he just refused to do that, and he, and he repented for it. So honor is in culture and how we deal with authority. Honor is also in marriage. 1 Peter 3 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your, your prayers may not be hindered. Right? So your prayers may not... Be hindered. Now, this is a verse that maybe uh, some people don't like a lot today, especially if you if you're like fully embraced, you know, radical feminism or whatever. Like thinking of women as the as the weaker vessel or whatever. I mean, it's just true from like a physical perspective, right? And for sure, in the first century, that it would have meant this. Like like women just didn't have a, like status at all. And so the verse, you know, people would have expected the verse to read more that wives should honor their husbands. So, for, so for, for Peter to write it this way uh, would have been shocking for them to read at that time that, that men should honor their wives. And what's, what's, what's pretty incredible about this verse right here uh, is, that, is that Peter says, men, hey, if you don't honor your wives, like God won't hear your prayers. That's, that's, that's kind of a big deal, right? If you don't, if you don't honor your wives like God, you, you ever struggle, men, you ever struggle like, 
you're feeling like, like you're praying and it's just not, not working, or you feel like, man, where's God? He's, well, I mean, it's a, good, it's a good, good verse to look at here. Good verse to look at here. We also see that honor is in the family. In Ephesians 6, Paul writes and says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes the Ten Commandments. Uh, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So, so honors in the family. Yeah, it's, it's children, honor your, your, your father and mother, but it's also, uh, uh, there's a comment here to fathers about how they are parenting their kids. Uh, and, and so there's honor that's going both ways. There's a transaction of honor in the family. And then a, a verse I've already read today, I'm just gonna read one more time. Honor is in the church. First Timothy 5, 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Okay, again, let's just, let's just, Let's just recap for a minute. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. Okay? Like, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> it is the operating system of the kingdom of God. Everything you love about the kingdom, it flows out of this right here. Honor. It's everywhere. And the reason why this matters to you and the reason why this needs to matter to me is because if we don't get honor right, we don't get the Christian life right. Okay? If you don't get honor right, you don't get the Christian life right. Christians are called to live a different way, right? Anybody want to shout me down with a good amen this morning? Come on. That's a good, uh, Christians are called to live a different way. Called to live a different way. Now, let me tell you some things. It is, it is, it is more dangerous to live a life of dishonor than you might think. You may not think of this as like a big deal or like you may feel entitled to treat people a certain way or to, or to think of people a certain way or to lower their value. Like it, it is more dangerous to live a life of dishonor than you might think. Dishonor creates in us, it creates a culture of contempt in our hearts. That's what it does. Like, like the more we live out of this place of dishonor, the more willing we are to be dishonoring towards people, it, it develops in us a culture of contempt towards people. And um, it, it's kind of a big deal. Robert C. Solomon, if you look at this, this on, on, the, on the screen, he places contempt on the same continuum as resentment and anger. And he argues that the difference between the three are that resentment is anger directed towards a higher status individual. The anger is directed towards an equal status individual, and that contempt is anger directed toward a lower status individual. Interesting. He throws them all on the same continuum. And, and so what he's really getting at is he's saying, hey, when you show contempt for someone, you're literally lowering the value that you think they have. And then you're distancing yourself from them. And this is just not the way the kingdom of God works, everybody. What happens here is you begin to compare yourself to somebody, you judge them, you categorize them, and you lower their value in, in your mind and in your heart. And You know, there are two people in the entire biblical narrative who did this regularly, uh, Satan and the Pharisees, okay? So um, uh, this is, it's not a stretch to say that this is not the operating system of the kingdom of God, right? To uh, have a culture of contempt. But we live, in a, we live in a world right now that is defined by this. It's just so commonplace. And what exists and is true in culture oftentimes has become true in the church. So we come to church 
Maybe you've experienced this. People rub you wrong. They're not like maybe people you'd normally like build a relationship with. And so you distance yourself, you lower their value, and, and, and you start to kind of show contempt. You know, like, I, I don't know, I'm going to sit, sit over here. I mean, this stuff, maybe it's not a big deal in our church. It's not a, maybe not, maybe not a big deal here because I, I think, I think I'd, I'd see more of that. But, I mean, it's a big deal in the church. Like, we see, it's stuff happens all the time. And the result, if you're taking notes, of a culture of dishonor is that the church ends up looking nothing like the community that God has in mind. Nothing like the community that God has in mind. So, you ever been a part of a church where there was division? It usually comes from a culture of dishonor. Okay, great division in a church. Where's the honor? I mean, there's other reasons sometimes for division in a church, but largely it's because there's 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 dishonor. Um, uh, th- this kind of stuff it leads to great discouragement in the church. You know, you have people coming to faith in Christ. They join a church, and then they start getting into, you know, uh, community groups or in, in, you know, building friendships with people and getting to know them. And maybe they find themselves, like, like uh, in conversation where, where now there's, like, you know, there's, like, gossip or there's backbiting or there's, like, there's things that just, man. And, and, and so people are all of a sudden, like, disillusioned or discouraged with the church because they're like, man, I, I, I thought I was, like, joining, you know, something exciting or the kingdom. And, and there's all this other stuff going on in the church, and it creates a lot of that. And ultimately what happens is it diminishes the potential that the church can have in a community. And so we got to be very, 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 very careful that we do not embrace a culture of dishonor personally because when we do that, it leaks out corporately into the church. And we find ourselves just, just functioning out of a habit. That we, didn't even, we didn't even like intend for this to like, like trickle out and, and affect the church uh, in, in, you know, uh, or have a wide effect like that. And, and, it, and it does. It's, it's, this is just what happens. Jesus dealt with this. Jesus dealt with this personally. Jesus had people treat him like this personally. Jesus was a man who was greatly dishonored, right? Like over and over and over again. And there's two great examples of this that I, that I um, uh, was looking at this week. I'm just going to give you one of them. The other uh, is found in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to give you the one in, in Mark 6. But it says, Jesus left there, went to his hometown, Nazareth, by the way. It's his hometown. You may... Um, you remember that he was born in Bethlehem, but his parents were from Nazareth. He was raised in Nazareth. Um, he was accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he, that, that he even does miracles? Is this, is this the carpenter? Right? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they they took offense at him. Jesus said to them in verse 4, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. A few. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And Jesus went around teaching from village to village. So, Man, think of this. Like, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, right? And, and he shows up on the scene, and he's doing incredible things. Like, he's bringing the kingdom of God. He is literally healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's raising the dead. He's cleansing the leper. Like, he is literally bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And yet, those who were most familiar with him could not receive from him. Those who were most familiar with Jesus could not receive from Jesus. He was unable to do anything of real significance or, or, or merit in his hometown because they, they, they would not honor him uh, the way he was honored in other places. 
Dishonor is treating something or someone as ordinary or common, and that's exactly what happened with Jesus here in, in uh, Mark chapter 6. So let me just give you a few thoughts on this, this story. Dishonor is what caused the people in Nazareth to lose access to the power and the anointing that Jesus carried. It was dishonor. Like he's there, he's in their hometown, he could have, he could have been the answer to so many prayers, he could, he could have done so much for them, he, could, he could, have, could, have, could have built their faith as they watched, you know, miracle after miracle. I mean, he could have instructed them in the kingdom of God, and, and, and things could have just awoken inside of them, you know, as he, as he preached with authority, and yet they chose to dishonor him, and what it did is it shut off the valve of the anointing that was on Jesus' life, and they could not receive from him. They could not receive the power and the anointing that Jesus carried because they would not honor him. They treated him as a carpenter, and so all they could get from him was that that a carpenter can give. If you're taking notes, look at this with me today. Honor is what gives you access to other people's anointing. Dishonor shuts off the access you have to what they carry on their life. Honor is what gives you access to other people's anointing. Dishonor shuts off the access you have to what they carry on their life. The problem, problem with a thought like this is that most of us, you know, when you look, look at our room like this, and most of us just don't even, don't even see like the value that is next, to, is next to us in this room. And so when it comes to like God impacting our life, rarely ever do we think that like, hey, maybe God wants to work through the person like in my row to like bring the kingdom in my life. And, and so we, we just, we struggle this way. Like, like, like we, we, treat, we treat people as common or as ordinary. We treat uh, all, all kinds of people as common or ordinary. And we, th- as a result, we just cannot receive like, what they carry on their life. And so I want to give you a couple things that we got to do, okay? And uh, I'm, man, I'm doing my best. Um, let me give you a couple things we got to do. Number one, we have to possess a value filter, Okay? We have to possess a value filter. Uh, those of you who uh, are on the gram, you know, doing filters all the time on your pictures, uh, you know that, that filters change how you see everything. You can have a photo, you can put a filter over that photo, and it, it, I mean, it completely changes the picture. And so w- what I mean when I talk about having a value filter is that when we see people, we have to possess a, a filter of value. And, 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 and like we've got to see people rightly. We've got, we've got to see people the right way. And, and it can't be based on behavior either. So, so often we're willing to like see people as valuable as long as they never mess up. We're, we're willing to see people as valuable as long as they don't sin. We're like, we don't like sin. We like to be around sin. We like to distance ourselves from sin. Jesus wasn't afraid of sin because Jesus had an answer for sin, right? And so we have to be people who, who possess a, a, a value filter where we see people as valuable, whether they show up well in life or, or they don't. This is how Jesus, how Jesus interacted with, with Peter. You remember their relationship. There, there was some unique dynamics to their relationship. Jesus calls Peter away from his life as a fisherman. You remember that? Like, unbelievable that Jesus would pick Peter to be one of his disciples, and he calls him to come fish for men and said, but if you follow the, 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 the story of Peter's life, you notice that he struggles all the time. Like he's always having to stick his foot in his mouth. He's always doing things he shouldn't do. I mean, the night that Jesus is, is handed over and betrayed by a kiss from Judas, like, like Peter pulls out that sword and cuts off an ear, right? I mean, Peter's always doing something that like 
like he always assumes the kingdom is one way and Jesus is having to remind him, hey man, that's not what I'm talking about. That very night, as, as you all know, like Peter would deny Jesus three times. I, I never knew the man, you know, never, never knew the man. And so in shame, when Peter, following the resurrection of Jesus, when he decides to go back to fishing, he goes back to his life on the sea fishing. After he's denied Jesus, one morning Jesus comes to him on the shore. And in that incredible exchange, Jesus restores Peter to his calling, reminding him that his destiny is people, not fish. Peter then goes out and he is used by God to really launch the church and do amazing things for the kingdom of God. You would think, if I was Jesus, or you were Jesus, you'd just find a different disciple, right? Like, let's just get somebody who's not going not gonna to be so wishy-washy. Let's, let's find somebody who has more of a backbone. Let's find somebody who, who, when, man, push comes to shove and things get tough, like, they're actually going to be like, no, I was with Jesus. He's my guy. Like, I'm going to go to the cross with him too, you know? That's not what happens with Peter. Peter flakes out. Peter, Peter, Peter becomes so full of fear. And, and we see that Jesus' value for Peter, it doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't shift based on his poor, poor behavior and his bad performance. Like, Jesus continues to see Peter as incredibly valuable, and he restores him to uh, who he really is uh, supposed to be. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. I love these words. It says, what is man, like humanity? What is man that you are mindful of him? Think about that. The God of the universe, mindful of humanity. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory, and what's the word? Crowned him with what? Glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. So, you know what Psalm 8 tells us? It tells us that every person that you have ever met, every person who has ever lived, has had their own coronation of of glory and honor from God. Every person has had their own coronation of glory and honor. Like, they have been crowned by God with glory and honor. So the person sitting next to you, yeah, yeah, I, I mean them too, right? The person sitting next to you, like right now, like look at the size of their crown. Like look, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? They have been crowned with glory and honor from God. Is this even close to how we treat people? Is this even close to how we treat people? Like, man, I can't even believe I'm sitting in the same room as them. Like, God crowned them. Can you believe that? Look at the size of that crown. Like, like he crowned them with glory and honor. Like, could we even come close to treating people this way? Like, I think we don't. We gotta have a value filter. We gotta see people as valuable, even when they do things that we would rather them not do because their value, their implicit value doesn't change. Like, they're still a 10. God doesn't knock them down to like a seven or a six because they did something bad. And then we have to possess an honor filter, okay? Got to possess an honor filter. Most of the honor we see and give in America is performance-driven, you know? So uh, until you show the behavior I'm looking for, I will not show you honor is essentially how it works. It's, it, it's performance-driven. It's, it's, it's a trans- transactional type of honor. So uh, we see this in the church sometimes when people mess up, and then it's like, you know, can't use, can't use you anymore until you jump through a bunch of, a bunch of hoops. And so then the, the, the gifts of the Spirit are no longer gifts. They're rewards and uh, it becomes manipulation over people, and that's just not healthy or good. 
We, require, we live in a culture that requires performance to happen first. Like that's, the, that's just the way of the culture. Requires performance first. So because you did, now I will. You ever, you ever felt yourself like, like feeling that? Okay, you did that, I'll, all right, I'll do that too. Or because you've agreed to it, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do that as well. Honor doesn't need anyone else, okay? It doesn't need anybody else. Honor just gives. It gives. Not because they need it, not because they deserve it, and not because they're going to use it well. Honor, honor just gives. 1 Peter 2.17 says this. says, honor, what's the word? Whoa. Honor who? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I, I love this because I mentioned a little bit earlier, but like, you know, the whole Nero thing. Like, like Peter's writing this and he's saying, hey, honor everyone. And in case you didn't think I meant everyone, like I, I'm talking about the emperor too. You know, like that's what he's really getting at here in, 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 this, in this scripture. So this, this isn't about agreement, okay? He's not saying like, hey, you got to agree with Nero. He's, he's talking about holding them up in value, holding him up in value. I love the message translation of this. It says, treat everyone you meet with dignity. With dignity. With dignity. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a really, really, really good verse for us, right? That, that we don't just live life where we're, we're just so caught up in our own interests. We don't just look to our own interests. Like the people who... who follow Jesus, the way the kingdom of God works is that, is that we refuse to just get so caught up in our own interests, we actually look after and care after the interests of others. This is a really good verse for you and me, for us. This is a really, really good verse for our kids, too. Really good verse for our kids. To, like, raise your kids in, up in such a way where they fully understand that, like, following Jesus and living rightly in this world, it's not just be so caught up in their own interests and the things they want to do and always getting to do the things they want to do, but to actually have, have space in their life carved out where they're actually looking after the interests of other people. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a big deal. How does this work? How does this work, and what if they are not honorable people? So look at this, this thought with me. Honor begins with God's claim about someone, okay? That's where honor begins. We so often only see people as they are, and we fail to try to see them the way that God sees them. We just don't. But God, God has this unique ability, okay, to see people in both their depravity and their dignity at the exact same time. Like, that's, that's what's so amazing about God, is that he, he it's not like he's blind to, like, like the short shortcomings of people and the sins of people like like he has he just has this unique ability to 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 hold both their depravity and their dignity at the same time like just because they've done this doesn't mean they 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 go down in value and and what's amazing about this is that i think he's calling the church to do the exact same thing to hold people up in in, in value like this is this is what it looks like when we parent our kids you know I don't, know, I don't know what it's like for you. You know, like, you know, we've dealt with different things over the years with our kids and, you know, gone through seasons of, you know, um, different kids, you know, not being fully honest or truthful. And, you know, I, I've had a discussion one time with one of my daughters telling her, hey, look, like, you lied, but you're not a liar. Just because you lied, that doesn't make, it doesn't make you that. I don't ever want my kids to identify with, with uh, you know, poor behavior as something that, that, that defines who they are. So it's like, yeah, you did that, sure, but that's not who you are. 
Let's, let's get back to who you are. Let's remind you of who you are, right? First, you're my kid. <laughs> you belong to him. Like, let's remind you of who you are. This is exactly how we, how we roll in parenting, and it's how God works with us as well. He wants the church to be this way with people. So we have to have this honor filter over every interaction and every relationship that we enter into in life. And how do we do this? Let me just, I'm, I'm, I'm about done. You can come on up. Yeah, um, I think I'm about done. So let me just, let me just tell you, like, this is, how, this is how I do it. This is how it works in my life, okay? And I'm not perfect at this, but this is, this is, how, I, this is, this is how you try to do it. When I interact with people, I try, to, I try to see their story. When I interact with people, I try to see their story. Like, I, I try to understand that everybody that I interact with, everybody that, that, I, that I meet with, whether I get a chance to talk to them or not, or they cut me off in traffic or flip me off, whatever it is, I, I try to see that there is a story behind that person, okay? There, there's a, when, I, when, I can, when I can realize in me and let my flesh kind of get out of the way for a minute, when I can realize that there is a story behind every person that I meet, you know what it does? It produces compassion in me. So every, I mean, every single person that would normally rub, rub me wrong, and I'm like, man, I can't believe, you know, or somebody's out here panhandling and can't believe, you know, or, or man, can't they just get a job, you know? Like, no, 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 like every person I meet and interact with, like I try to see that there's a story behind them, and it produces compassion in me. I also try to, try to see their calling, you know? I, all the time we're interacting with people around here who, man, there's, there's mess, there's stuff in their life, there's issues and relationships and marriages and people just struggling. And you know what I try to do? I try to step back and I try to see their calling. Like I try to imagine them thriving as the person that God created them to be. Like I try to imagine what that would be like. Like what would it be like? I know they're not thriving. I know that there's some things they're doing that kind of are tough, man, to stomach. And I just, man, I just would rather not. But like, what if I could just start to imagine them thriving as the person God created them to be? It would give me compassion. I try to see their gifts. I try to see people as gifted, gifted by their Heavenly Father. I try to see them making a, an amazing contribution with their life. Like, man, that'd be awesome. You know, there's people that I've interacted with who, who I've met over the years in ministry and, um, you know, praying with them, working with them. I mean, they are in just loads of mess. And, and like, God's given me, like, pictures or images in my head of them, like, preaching and them like, like ministering to people. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I want to go after that. Like I want to see them as that. I want to see them the way God sees them versus the way like I see them in the flesh right now. And so I want to see their, their calling and I want to see their gifts. I want to see their story. And then I want to see their future, right? So it helps bring compassion in me when I can allow myself to try to see their future, imagine their future, that there's more to them than what I see right now. I want to see them five years out. I want to see them 10, ten years out. I want, to, I want to understand when I when I work with people that who they are now is not who they're going to be, right? That we serve a God who changes lives. And when I can see this in my neighbors, and when I can see this in my family, when I can see this in you know parents, and I can see this in extended family members and things like this, it'll cause me to not have a heart that just fills up with offense and detaches and wants to have nothing to do with them, it'll cause me to go after the great things of God that is in their life, the things he's spoken over them. And it, it produces great compassion in me because their presenting behavior is not the whole story. It's not all of who they are. We gotta have an honor filter. We gotta have a value filter so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. And so in this church, the way this works is that everybody has to get involved in this. 
This can't just be a Pastor Jordan thing or an elder-driven thing. Like, like we all have to be people who, who choose right now that we're going to develop like a culture of honor in our personal lives. And we're just going to ask God to let that leak out in our church. And then from our church, we're going to ask him to let that leak out into our community. And we're going to hold people as valuable as people created in God's image. We're going to try to see people the way that God sees them and see if we can't try to restore a bunch of people to the greatness that is on their life by their creator. Come on, right? Can I get a good amen? The way this works, the way this happens is, is like we have to be a people who refuse to talk neg negatively about others. They just can't, there just can't be room for it. We can't be a church like that. We can't be people like that. We can't be th those types of Christians that are willing to talk poorly and negatively about someone behind their back. There can't be room for that. It just, it just, it just won't work. We have, to, we have to believe the best about other people as well. We have to resist cynicism. I tell you what, when you work with a lot of people over the years who have all kinds of problems, it's easy to get jaded and it's re e really easy to become cynical. And maybe maybe you, you, you see that too, the people you've interacted with. And, no, 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 we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta believe the best about people. We gotta believe the best about people. In our church, in building a culture like this, we have to make sure that no one is overlooked when it comes to honor. So in this room, in our church, like honor isn't just reserved for me. Like, I know I'm your pastor, and I know I stand before the Lord, and double honor and all that. Bring it on. I'm, I'm okay with that. But uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not what I'm talking about here. Like, we got to live in a church, believe, you know, be in a church where no one's overlooked. Where, like, like every person, not just those who have notoriety, not just those who, who kind of get some exposure, but, like, no, we're a people of honor. We're a culture of honor. So every person, whether they have a big part to play or what would seem like a smaller part, it doesn't matter. Like, we are giving honor to every person here in our, in our church. We're a place where leadership is recognized and honored. And then we have to outdo each other. Like we have to outdo each other. Look at this in Romans 12, 10 in the ESV, or it may not be on your screen, I'm sorry. It just says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So one of the ways we build this culture in our lives and in our church is like we outdo one another in showing honor. So what does that look like? Hey. Today, you go out to lunch with somebody after church, just grab the check. Try grabbing the check. If, uh, if, if, if they won't let you grab the check, go up, go up to the register, just grab the check. If, if that still won't work, just buy the restaurant. Do whatever you gotta do. You know what I mean? Like, like just show some honor. Do whatever it takes to show some honor. Bless your server. Tip so well. Do you know that most servers at restaurants say that Sunday afternoons is like the worst time for tips? Like tip well. Be someone of honor. Honor your server well. Bless them. Text five to six people today. Five to six people today and tell them that you love them. Tell them that you love them, that they're a big deal to you. Like encourage them in the Lord. Be a person who embraces what it means to have a culture of honor in your life and watch God do amazing things in you and through you. Would you stand? You guys, just a little softer for a um, I'm going to close with this thought here. Okay, so uh, if you're, any of you are interested in baseball, you know the name Babe Ruth. If you're not interested in baseball, you know the name Babe Ruth. And um, <laughs> Babe Ruth is widely considered to be the greatest home run hitter of all time, right? Uh, even though he didn't hit the most home runs, he's widely considered to be, he's a legend, he's an icon. And, uh, 
Something you may not know about Babe Ruth, he, he signed a ton of baseballs over his career uh, for people, and obviously those had plenty of value, but he only ever signed seven of his home run bats, seven of them. And, uh, and so over the years, one of these seven bats uh, went missing. Uh, so the collectors who keep their eye on this stuff, they know where it's all at, like they um, had no idea where this uh, seventh bat was located. And uh, it turns out in 1988, there was a man on his deathbed. So many, many years later, right? He's on his deathbed and uh, he has no family, no extended family at all. And, and uh, there's this nurse who's coming in through in-home hospice care, taking care of him. And uh, they build a great relationship. And he ends up like willing her uh, this baseball bat that he had in his possession that nobody knew he had. This nurse, her name was uh, Marsha uh, Napoli Tejada. Uh, she had no idea what she had in her possession, and she took this bat and she put it under her bed. And for 18 years, she left this bat under her bed. In 2006, she finally retires from being a nurse. And uh, she has this, this dream in her to maybe open up a restaurant. And so she uh, is going through some things and she sees this bat. She's like wondering, maybe, hey, maybe this is worth something. Right? And so she goes, in, goes into a, a memorabilia collector and, and, and takes this bat in and shows it to him and he's just like stunned. You know, this is like the missing piece to this collection, right? And he's stunned. Anyway, uh, this nurse, she sells the bat for almost $1.3 million. It's kind of, a big, kind of a big deal to stuff that under your bed. She sells it for $1.3 million because of the name that's on the bat. Like that bat, like you, take, you take the name off that bat, it's 20 bucks, like with free shipping and handling, right? It's, like, it's, not even like, it's not even like worth much of anything, but because of the name that is on that bat, all of a sudden it's worth over a million dollars. And so why do we honor people, right? Why do we honor people? Why do we refuse to like take things from them and, 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 and you know, speak poorly of them and all of these things? Why? Because God's name is on them. God's name is on them. And so we, we just we choose to live differently. Christians are called to live a different way. And I'm challenging you and I'm calling you out as a church right now. That, that regard, I don't care what, what, what other, you know, other churches are doing necessarily. It's not my job, right? I, it's not my job to pastor every church. I don't care what maybe other Christians are doing that you may see out there. I care about what we're doing and who we are before the Lord. And man, we honor people because of the name that is on them, right? And it, it creates such huge value that we refuse to be people who diminish that value in any way. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Father, we come before you today. We just ask you to come and shift something in our hearts, shift something in the culture of who we are. Man, we don't want to be people who, who just sort of go through life angry and bitter and cause all these problems and leak all of our pain onto other people and call names and do all these other things. God, we, we want to be people of honor. We want to be the people that you've called us to be, who make you look really good to this world. And so I ask God that you would soften our hearts, that whatever bitterness exists in there would just go and be gone. Whatever cynicism exists in there would go and be gone. And we start to see people as immensely valuable, people with, with huge value on their life. May we start to see their story. We start to see that there's reasons maybe why they are the way we are. And would you produce deep, deep compassion in us for people we, we don't even know and for people that we do know. And so, God, I ask for you just to do something significant in us right now. 
and where we've messed up and where we've tweeted things or posted things or done things we shouldn't have done, where we've texted things or said things in conversation about somebody or to somebody's face that just isn't right. God, we repent of that. We don't want to be those kinds of people. And so shift our heart. Change us, oh God. Produce a culture of honor in this church. God, we don't want to shut ourselves off from the anointing of on other people's lives. We don't, want to, we don't want to be like the people in Nazareth who couldn't receive from you uh, because they just treated you as ordinary and common. Lord, we want to be people who can receive from you and receive from others. And so come and do in us what only you can do, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.